another episode of the conspiracy skeptic i'm the conspiracy skeptic carl mamer and with me is my returning guest Stuart robbins Stuart, hello how are you doing i'm doing fine great now you haven't you haven't been on for a while and and there have been big changes in your life you kind of have a you have a new title now now not one of these total bull crap made-up titles i give you you've got like a real official super new title right Wait, you're saying that the title you give me isn't real? Well, what, but what, I, I put Astronomer Royale on my business cards. Really? Now. Okay. Yeah. When we last we talked, you were you were you used to be staff astronomer, and now then eventually I promoted you to astro- Astronomer Royale. So, uh, but um, you you realize that didn't pay. So uh, you 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 went out and you you sought like a more legitimate title. I suppose I sought one among the cultural elite that, you know, is responsible for all of the world's troubles, but yes. <laughs> so, and so now what do we call you? We don't call you, we don't call you the purple astronomer royale, Stuart Robbins, we have to call you. Well, you can call me Dr. Robbins if you really must. Dr. Robbins, yeah. So people who have been uh, following your, your, the, your meteoric rise in your career uh will recall uh you for a long time now you've been working on your phd right as a, a student uh in astronomy correct right and you and you finally you defended your thesis i did right okay which was on uh that the I, it, what we think were you have this thesis that they're they're hubs and tubes or something right was that your, what your thesis was about no, that, that's what uh, someone on the comments on some particular person's blog that we'll be talking about later was talking about. We'll get to that soon enough. Yes, okay, right. But it was on the the, the craters of Mars. Yes. Wow. I created the largest global crater database in existence, um, and it happens to be for Mars, with over 640,000 members that I identified and circled and drew by hand Wow! with an additional 100,000 for another project that was part of it. So. Uh, now, 640,000, that sounds like a lot. So, like, like, how much time per crater would you spend? Uh, during the my, some of my fastest times, I could do upwards of about 1,200 craters an hour, which... Um, I've talked with some other people in the industry, you know, the, the other dozen crater counters in the world. Um, <laughs> crater counters. <laughs> that's what we're called. We, we count craters. Got um, a little support group, maybe. Well, yeah, I'm going to that in a month. Uh, that's another issue. <laughs> um, I talked with some of the others in the industry, and uh, the fastest they've been able to do is about 600 an hour. Wow. So I'm fast. Yeah, you are. Did you did you want to reveal what's your secret, or that's just purposely proprietary? Uh, no, I've told other people. Um, my secret. Well, so there are several. I'm sure that your listeners are very interested in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there are several different ways of identifying craters. Um, some people will sort of draw um, a circle tool, so sort, of, sort of like Photoshop, okay. and they'll draw a circle um, and size it. Some people will click three or more points along the rim and fit a circle to that. Um, And so if you imagine that you're sort of clicking and drawing and sizing in the first way, and the other way you're taking the mouse and moving along the rim and clicking individual points, what I have is um, a tablet input device, so people can draw with tablets. That's what I use. So I actually basically trace the rim of every crater and so okay. i can just draw a circle hit f2 draw a circle hit f2 and f2 closes it and that's that's my secret that's all there is to it i just draw okay all right and uh, and so you got your you defend your thesis did, did were you sweating was that pain free uh no the thesis defense is pain free it's hazing I mean, that's really all it is. You you stand up there in front of people of combined 100, 150 years of experience in the field, and you, you're made to look like a fool when they ask you questions that you can't answer. 
<laughs> and then they and then they say, do you, do you find out you defended it successfully right there, or do you have to wait or something? Or? Uh, we so the way that it works, at least in my university, and I, I would assume it's fairly standard, uh, at least in the states, is that you have an open defense. So you basically give an hour-long talk that's open to anyone who wants to come, and uh, you give your talk, and then people in the audience can ask questions. Uh, during the talk, you're only supposed to ask clarification questions. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are your axes on that graph? I can't read them. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, so the audience can ask questions, and usually it's fellow grad students who are in there, and so they will ask you fairly straightforward and easy questions. Like, so where do you go from here with this? That kind of thing. All right. Um, then the committee kicks everyone out, except for you, unfortunately, and then uh, your committee will question you, uh, generally, at least at my university, for about an hour. Mm-hmm. And after that, you are kicked out while the committee discusses your fate. <laughs> and um, usually that only takes about a minute, but then they sit there and talk amongst themselves about office politics or whatever for another 15 minutes while you're sort of outside waiting and sweating and thinking, oh, I know the answer to that question. I just couldn't think of it on the fly, but right. in my case, it only took three and a half minutes. And then your advisor, who's your committee chair often, will come out and they say, congratulations, doctor, or so-and-so. Oh, very nice. Okay. All right. And now these guys, do they wear, like, robes? Is there, like, a like a noose dangling in the background or something? Is... No. Um, I suppose that if you have a particularly cruel advisor, they may do that. My advisor, actually, when he introduced me uh, to the audience, basically started to give a roast. You know, oh, I first met Stuart when he was blah, 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 and this funny thing that he did five years ago, and... Oh dear! But I brought food to fatten my committee up and make them slow and lazy as the morning wore on. So I okay, think that well that's awfully nice. Wow. All right, and uh, let's see. All right, so um, you're uh, so you're a doctor now. You've you kind of have a you kind of have a job now or something? I'm doing what I did before. <laughs> so. My graduate work was basically making this gigantic creator database, and uh, half of my postdoctoral work is now actually doing science with it. Um, the other half is I've moved from craters on Mars to craters on the moon. Okay. I am the uh, lead scientist, I guess, on the citizen science project known as MoonZoo. And for all of your listeners who are eager to start counting craters on the moon that is moonzoo.org okay, cool it's a, that is that kind of like a uh, like kind of like a seti at home thing where like people people can look yeah. at pictures and except with seti at home you basically run you know the code on your computer runs mm-hmm. in the background and you're just uh, giving right. giving them your cpu cycles okay. whereas this is more like uh, stardust at home uh, galaxy zoo um, yes right the protein folding project. I don't know what that one's called, uh, but so it's it's one where basically anyone around the world who has an internet account or internet access goes to this website and helps scientists by identifying craters or boulders or other features of interest. In this case, on the moon. All right. Okay. Now I saw. I, I think one of your um, th- there's a website like a discussion site. And somebody posted a picture and they kind of they sort of quip something about oh it's um you know doesn't this look like a robot's head or something like that on the moon and and uh, w- which you know like alert Richard Hoagland and and uh, which I thought was kind of funny because he he already does claim that there's a that there is a, a, a an android head on the moon. Yes, Richard Hoagland does claim that. <laughs> uh, we, we do actually have, I think, two different pareidolia threads going on on the MoonZoo forums where people can post their pareidolia finds. Uh, one person found a whale on the moon. Another person found a skull. Uh, someone found a goblin, I think, although I couldn't quite see that one. <laughs> but, I, you know, you can imagine you're looking at these 
thousands upon thousands of images on the moon, you're going to find something that looks sort of like something else. Right. Yes. Soon, 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 soon enough, you're going to find something that looks. Yeah. Now, I mean, people do that with other sort of the bodies on the like Mars. Isn't there like a Kermit the Frog on Mars or something like that? Uh, I'm sure someone's found something that looks like Kermit the Frog. All right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, let's see now. What else is now? And you're you're starting a you're starting a podcast. Yes, I have started my own podcast. Okay, and what's your podcast called? It is called Exposing Pseudoastronomy, a name that probably sounds familiar. <laughs> a little like your blog. My blog. Cool. Okay. And uh, and uh, how, how do we, how do we get to exposing pseudoastronomy? Well, since I only have one episode out, it isn't really on iTunes yet. So you yes. have to do a little bit of web typing. <laughs> you can go to podcast. And I hope that your listeners know how to spell that. But just in case, it's P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot S-J-R design dot net. Okay. All right. And from there, you can uh, see show notes and somewhat of a transcript, as well as click on the RSS feed, which you can drag into iTunes or probably your other podcasting listening to software of choice. Oh, that's great. Okay. Now, we've had you on. You've talked about the... Uh... Uh, the, the you know the the moon we never landed on the moon conspiracy. You've talked about 2012, and then and then as as a uh, as a as a favor to me, you came on and you talked about the whole Richard Hoagland, uh, you know, face on Mars, you know, on alien objects on the moon and Mars, right? And on other objects, yes. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So I guess I just kind of wanted to bring you back on bit of an update in that stuff, and and also you uh, you recently did a uh, uh, skeptic camp in in Colorado, your your adopted state. Yeah, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it is the state in which I currently live. Okay. Rich Orman has a as audio from from your talk, and uh, it, 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 what was, it, what was the subject of your um, your skeptic camp talk? Uh, the subject was why modern physics doesn't prove your new age idea of choice. Yeah, which I thought was quite a brilliant uh, sort of a brilliant idea. It was, it was, it was very good and uh, sort of very instructive, it, and it kind of meshed well uh, well with um, I think there was the guy maybe he was on before you, desert a guy named Desert File. I think that's the name he goes by. Oh, okay, okay. I, did he go before you or did he go after you? I think he was two talks before me. I should know because I did the schedule for the Skepticamp, but I, it was a few months ago, so I don't quite remember. Okay, all right. Uh, but my my talk was the first one that Rich actually posted on his Dogma Free America yes. podcast, yes. Okay. which I thought was a little anachronistic, but whatever. <laughs> well, you know, lead lead with the best. But uh, uh, yeah, now, now Desert Files, his whole topic was, um, you know, the free energy your free energy claims and stuff like that. And, and it seemed like there was somebody in the audience who, it was very hard. The audio was a bit hard to, to hear and understand, but if somebody had a real problem with his definition of energy or, or something, was, was that it? Yeah. Um, so the issue is that, well, so what we decided the issue was, that what it really boils down to, is that energy has a very specific mathematical definition. And when you try to put that mathematical definition into words or into a very short conceptual idea, you're going to have inaccuracies and you're going to have cases where that doesn't actually fit the definition of energy. So the problem was that Desert File was using a definition of energy that works most of the time. In fact, it's the definition that I gave during my talk. In fact, it is the it is the leading sentence in the Wikipedia, for whatever that's worth, article on energy. And uh, that is that energy is basically the ability of something to do work. Okay. But again, work in physics also has a very specific definition. <laughs> so people don't realize that. And in this case in particular, the person who is arguing with Desert File is a physicist. Um, although his talks 
at Skepticamp and the uh, the Colorado Skepticamp have been on evolution in the past. <laughs> okay. So he actually he knows what he's talking about, but he was unwilling to relent on this whole. Okay, we're trying to put a mathematical definition into words, and it doesn't exactly work out. Let's move on. He wasn't really willing to do that. Oh, okay. And so the argument went on for quite a while, and uh, yeah, then then of course the guy quipped up during my talk when I introduced definition of energy and used the exact same thing. <laughs> now that's not to say that Desert Files um, didn't make other mistakes. He did have um, he was trying to demonstrate potential energy versus kinetic energy. And for okay. your listeners who have never been in a physics classroom or don't remember what these are potential energy is um, the best actually the best way to describe it is to give an example if I have a um, if I have my laptop sitting on my desk it has a certain amount of potential energy it can do work if the desk is removed it will fall to the ground gravity mm-hmm. will work on it right. um, even though I know I can hear the physicists in your audience screaming at me because gravity is not really an energy source or whatever, go with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is another, so the potential energy is basically the energy of you have something stored in a system and it can be released and it will do work. Right. When the laptop is dropped on the ground, that potential energy is converted into kinetic energy. Right. It's like why walking upstairs is more difficult than going downstairs. When you're walking upstairs, you are giving your body effectively potential energy. And then when you're going downstairs, you are using up some of that potential energy to help you go down. Right. Now, so he was okay. he was doing some stuff that with those definitions that really were incorrect. But but I was like p- potential energy is sort of the the best uh, to me, is the best sort of counter to the whole New Age idea that energy is some sort of amorphous blue blob. You know that uh, the, a lot of uh, new, new Agers sort of have this idea that like you know, energy is just this. You know, they think they confuse it, I think, with like electrons or something, or, or the sparks coming out of their, their 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 plug when their dog decides to start licking the you know the, the electric outlet or something like that. That that that. To me, it's potential energy, right? If you, if you, let's say you, you you use a hand pump and pump a bunch of water into a uh, you know into a silo, that's but that, that's potential energy, right? If you then if you then release that water, sort of, you, it, and then that water ran down and then spun a spun a little wheel, you would be converting that into right k- kinetic energy. But 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 the water sitting up there is potential energy, and that's not. There's no amorphous blue blob of electricity or energy sitting up there with it, right? Right, and so that was actually the first section of my Skepticam talk was energy, just sort of going through this new age idea of energy, which actually Brian Dunning did in his first episode of Skeptoid. You know, energy is the ability of a physical system to do work. It's not consciousness. It's not an amorphous blob of consciousness. And I had a a nice little screenshot from a Star Trek episode with one of their energy beings. It's not mind power. It's not organized structure. It's not ghosts. It's not magic. (laughs) It has a very specific definition. And the uh, who's who's that who's that who's that wooey guy? Uh, Which one of the thousands? yeah I know <laughs> yeah wooey guy Mister Mister Quantum Healing uh, Deepak, Deepak Chopra yeah Deepak Chopra I mean doesn't he he has some sort of whole idea like you know like since energy can never be created or destroyed and and since we are made of energy that you know that when we die that energy continues on and so you know ergo in afterlife. There are are a lot of people who um, have adopted that. I don't know if uh, Chopra originated it or if he just picked up on it from other people. But yeah, the basic claim is that it comes from the first law of thermodynamics, where the first law of thermodynamics states energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. And so people use that and say, well, since energy can't be destroyed, then your consciousness, which is this new age energy must continue to exist after you die. Now, if actually there is mind-brain duality and 
I'm sure that there are lots of people who say the jury is still out on that. Um, I think that the the skeptical uh, default is that consciousness is created by the brain until we can show otherwise. Uh, but assuming that that is true, that ener- that consciousness is created by the brain, then when you die. It's not that energy is destroyed. It's just that the organized patterns that form your consciousness simply dissipate and are are no longer maintained because your brain is dead. Now, your um, that, that skeptic camp, it seemed like a, a maybe a different kind of format. Now, now you, I'm used to sort of an idea like you get up there, you give your talk, you speak for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then people can ask questions after. But it seemed a much more like freeform. Like if anybody had any question at any time, they just kind of shouted it out. Is was that was that the ground rules of your skeptic camp, or did that yes. just okay? The idea of skeptic camp is, uh, or at least here, I don't know how you do it in Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or Alto America. <laughs> Um, but the, the basic idea of skeptic camp here is that it's a community thing. It's something where some, anyone can basically stand up and give a talk, but that you can be challenged at any point, Ah, challenged or asked to clarify. It's, it's not like my thesis talk was. (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. Now, I, I, I don't know about your skeptic camp. When, when we were doing our skeptic camp there, you know, there were a couple of people and they sort of, I, I, they might have been there for the free bagels. I don't know. But, but they, they, they looked like they had wandered in. And, and after they were asking questions about like, you know, 9-11 and, you know, and since I believe, you know, that, that the government was behind 9-11, I'm a skeptic too, right? And, and which I sort of realized, oh, okay, these people just are like, since I never believe the official story, I'm a skeptic. And did, did, do you get people turning out like that to your skeptic camp, or not really? Or if they do, they they've kept their mouth shut. At least at the few skeptic camps that I've been to, um, we do get a few global warming deniers, mm-hmm. but we've never actually gotten anyone, um, at least on the talk in the talks that I've seen, who's been a 9/11 truther. Oh, okay. Wow. I was going to say. Um... Say, what's my question? Okay, uh, now, now 20, 2012, I, 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 here's here's the uh, you, you've recently updated your uh, uh, exposing pseudo astronomy blog about twenty twelve, but but here's one I don't know if you've heard. My my friend Terry has passed this on. My friend Terry is actually going to be a future guest in September. It's going to be a very interesting topic. He's been researching this topic for like a year, and so uh, I don't want to tell you too much, but it's going to be September. It's not going to be about 9-11. But anyways, so you're advertising for someone else yeah, while I'm, you have me on as a guest. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you can, you can badmouth me on your next podcast, okay? <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, um, right, so <laughs> you find this one thing where this person is like, did you know that uh, something about Something about in 2012, when the world's going to end, that's also going to be exactly 99 years since the founding of the Federal Reserve. I have actually heard someone else uh, mention that. Damn, I thought that would just be a new one that I could just... No, I've listened to too much Coast to Coast. <sighs> okay. Um, you know, my my basic response to that is sort of a, so what... I mean, so why is 99 years especially interesting? Why is, you know, wouldn't it be make more sense because we're in a base 10 system? Wouldn't it make more sense that it's, um, you know, it would be important if it were 100 years after the Federal Reserve was founded? And if 99 is your special number, then you could probably come up with anything that – or, yeah – pretty much anything that happened 99 years before your particular doomsday date that is portending of supposed doom depending upon your particular political or economic or religious ideas. Wow. So maybe if it were 66 years or it would make more sense if it were 666 years after the founding of some great bank like maybe the Bilderberg Group, then maybe that would be something – more notable, at least, than 99 years after the founding of the United States Federal Reserve. I mean, to me, that's just stupid. It's like, 
Yeah, so what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so how does that affect Canada? You know? <laughs> yeah, there does, there does sometimes seem to be a kind of in these conspiracies sort of, it's like, it's very, a lot of times it's, you know, for, at least for the Americans who are, are ex, you know, expressing these conspiracies, they don't seem to go, take into account the rest of the world. So it's, let's say, like, um, you know, like Big Pharma or, you know, uh, uh, you know, we discovered a cure for cancer. They never sort of go, well, you know, what about Sweden or, you know, Japan or the, all these countries with, like, you know, social, you know, what, what Americans would call socialized uh, medicine, where it's like, these things are great burdens on our tax base. And, and if we could just pop a pill and get rid of cancer, that would, that would free up all kinds of crazy money for, uh, you know, more, you know, more salaries for government workers and stuff like that. So they never kind of sort of go, how can this conspiracy also work in all these other countries that don't have very different circumstances or, or coming back to the free energy thing? It's like, you know, you know, Japan's economy is kind of sliding, you know, off the map these days. And if they could just, you know, bring on online one of these, you know, cold fusion or free energy things like, you know, they would, you know, they, they, their economy would come roaring back and they'd be able to, you know, beat the ass off of China and America and, and people, you know, so, and they're not exactly, they don't have oil. <laughs> so they, they can't really say they're being controlled by the oil companies. Well, that's where you have to go to the end. People who, who follow that basically then have to go to the worldwide Bilderberg Group or Illuminati mm-hmm. or Bohemian Grove, which at least the Bilderberg Group and, Illum- and Bohemian Grove, I think, are still American-centric. But you, you have to go to the worldwide power brokers and, yes, yes, or exactly. supposed power brokers and worldwide conspiracy and worldwide control. Yeah. If I ever remember uh, Phil Plate when he was- Argument with Joe Rogan, he's like, well, why did the, why did, you know, the Russians are in the perfect position to say, no, you didn't land on the moon. And then Joe's like, I don't know if America and Russia weren't in on it together. You know, he had to just immediately widen the conspiracy. And then it's like, well, what about China? Wouldn't China like to be able to say today, you know, we're going to put a guy on the moon. Wow. We could actually claim to be the first on the moon. You know, we could blow this wide open today, and and you know, now you got to involve China in this conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, it's the classic. You just have to widen it, right? Yeah, people are stupid. <laughs> now, now speaking <laughs> or about people will just believe anything. You know, take now, your pick. Speaking about stupid, if if on your your your, I believe it's your at least as uh, as the as this recording, it's your latest. Uh, exposing pseudo astronomy, and if when I can, if I can pose you the question, and then you can give me the answer. Now, now the claim is um, that you know that 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 some planet or or, or star or some is going to is heading towards Earth is going to smack into us, and 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 the refer, you know and the the objection is well we'd be able to see it by now with our telescopes, and then the claim is yes, but we only have. Most of our telescopes are in the northern hemisphere. We don't have any in the southern hemisphere, and therefore, no one's looking. You know, it's coming in at from the southern hemisphere. It's coming in at six o'clock, and we so we 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 can't look for it there. What, what's 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 the problem with that claim? The problem with that is that despite these people thinking that their eyes are wide open, they have a serious lack of vision, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm putting in sight analogs or analogies or whatever metaphors, whatever the appropriate English word is um, or American word. Okay. Uh, I'm putting those in because this really has to do with field of view. People don't realize that you have from any location on the planet, assuming you have a flat horizon, and most people have something that's at least close to a flat horizon if you drive within maybe 20 miles or what is that in kilometers, about 30 kilometers from your house or apartment or abode, if you drive within any reasonable distance, you'll have a flat horizon. And when you're surrounded by a flat horizon, you have a field of view of 180 degrees. That means that if you are on the North Pole at 90 90 degrees north latitude, then you can see down to effectively zero degrees latitude. You can see down to the celestial equator, which is basically Earth's equator projected out into space. You can see the entire northern 
hemisphere of the sky from the North Pole. If you go just a little bit south of the North Pole, because you can't go north of the North Pole, just a little bit south of the North Pole, you can start to see the southern celestial sky. If you're on the equator, you can see the entire sky. You can see down to the celestial south pole and celestial north pole, which, just like the celestial equator, is Earth's south and north pole projected into space. So over the course of a year, from the equator, as the sky rotates over you, or appears to rotate over you, depending on what point of view you are, you can see the entire sky. So... The claim that, oh, this planet X or dark star, scar, or star, let's start over. Okay. So this claim that you can see the – or that you can't see this dark star or this planet X or Nibiru or Wormwood or Anunnaki homeworld, whatever you want to call it, this claim that you can only see that from the southern hemisphere or in the southern sky and because – we're in the north, or most of the observatories are in the north, we haven't seen it yet, is just wrong because people don't understand what their field of view is. And also, we do have observatories in the south. We have the Anglo-Australian Observatory in Australia, and we have a lot of observatories in Chile. In fact, Chile is probably the best astronomical observing site in the world because the Atacama Desert gets rain like once every 400 years. But the conspiracy says that, no, we can only see this from the South Pole, and that's what the secret South Pole telescope is being built for, (laughs) when in actuality the South Pole telescope is a radio telescope and so wouldn't actually be able to see it. It would be, okay, maybe if you want to say that the Nibiruans or Anunnaki are sending us radio signals, then yes, okay, we'd be able to hear them from the South Pole telescope, but you would also be able to hear them from any telescope that's south of the North Pole, or that's if you want to say that it is approaching from Earth's direct South Pole, then any telescope that is south of Earth's equator would be able to see it or hear it. Mm-hmm. All right. So that one's neatly off the table. Now, do you um, you still listen to uh, do you still listen to the uh, what is it the ID intelligent design podcast uh id the future <laughs> what's, it, what's it called that's what it's called id <laughs> the future <laughs> which is just it, it's so like 1950s campy sounding like you know back at the ranch little johnny is working on his chemistry shed and i don't know so yeah id the future uh how's the future looking for id um you know <laughs> What I keep finding humorous about the ID of the Future podcast is that they continue to claim that ID is science and not religion. But then whenever there's anything in the news about something bad about religion, they start complaining about it on ID the Future. <laughs> and it's just like, well, wait, are you a religion or are you a religious podcast or are what what does this have to do with id if id does not have to do with religion right right any 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 good any good astronomy topics come up on id the future not very often uh there hasn't been one in actually two or three years i think um and actually another reason why i haven't actually listened to much of id the future lately is because they're very lazy they post a lot of repeats. They will <laughs> post podcasts that they first issued in, say, 2008 or 2007. They'll just keep posting them like now, okay. and they've been doing this for about the last year or two. So there might be one new episode every two weeks as opposed to the three a week that they actually post. Now, now I'd imagine uh, something they've done in 2007, 2008, there would be – out in the community, there would be extant criticism of some of their ideas. No? Well, there's always criticism about their ideas, but because ID doesn't actually change with any – new science they just complain about evolutionists or evolutionists and darwinism there's really no new criticism to level because it's all the same it's not like they've come up with something 
new and exciting that we can actually analyze and then if found completely bogus, argue against. It's just the same thing, much like creationism. Gee, what an, what an idea or idea. ID is arguing just like creationists, using the same thing that's been debunked over and over again. And, uh, speaking of uh, you know the the same thing over and over again, our uh, our, our friend the uh, what was his name? He is the he is America's authorized media representative for. Um, who's I think the, his the title is the authorized American or North American media representative for Billy Meyer. Billy Meyer, yes, yeah. He uh, he's, he's he's devoted a nice little blog page to you. Yes, Michael Horn is um, this. Your podcast doesn't have the clean tag, right? No, no, please swear swear as much as you want. Yeah, well, my swear word of the day is he's a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Horn is unabashedly one of the most infantile people that I've ever had the displeasure of uh, having comment on my blog <laughs> or, or having written about me before and, and ranting about me in his own blog posts. It's... It's fairly pathetic. Yeah. No, he uh, right. He he. Billy Meyer is the uh, the Swiss guy's one arm, and uh, which he only you know, he's only got one arm, so he it's so it's impossible. He couldn't have faked anything. Yeah, he can't like be holding a camera and throwing a UFO up in the air is sort of the. But he couldn't have had a friend do it. Yes, exactly. So uh, uh, and and his UFOs are just I mean I mean he was been doing this in like the seventies or the sixties and they're just you know. His work back then just looks crap, like like the classic, you know, pie plates glued together, dangling from a tree and swinging from a tree, you know, like just classic, classic, uh, you know, eight, what an, how an eight year old would fake UFO, right? Right, and his his visions or his his hoaxed visions of what aliens and UFOs look like is very much exactly like. They envisioned it in the 1970s. So silver um, jumpsuits, right? So you know we've we've talked about this before. It's his Azkit Nira aliens were backup dancers on some variety show from the 70s. But you know they look very 1970s as we envisioned human aliens yes, with yeah. the the overdone makeup and the beehive hairdos and the the high heels you know be kind of like 7 of 9 on voyager but that's a different issue <laughs> now he uh, at, at, at what if michael horney likes to sort of troll through billy myers his supposed conversations with space aliens and then and then kind of like cherry pick you know very uh you know, sort of very obscure, almost poetic language, and go, "Aha! This this thing these aliens said in 1970 about you know some sort of red meteor speeding to Earth, and it that must mean you know a, what was that Apophis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then was it something recently he claimed that oh this bizarre little poetic passage definitely predicted the you know the tsunami in Japan." I'm sure he did. Uh, He's actually a lot like creationists who pick something from the Bible and say, oh, look, this recent scientific advance was predicted in the Bible. It's exactly like that. He's using Billy Myers' uh, supposedly prophetic writings and adapt – actually, is a lot like um, Nostradamus' writings where you have these vague supposed predictions – uh, with Nostradamus's quatrains, in this case it's Billy Myers' ramblings, and it's of course in a different language. And so, when we can take liberties when mm-hmm. adapting it to English, which Michael Horn it speaks English, and so you have these vague writings that are translated, and then you can pretty much pull out from them what you want to fit the latest ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, now recently, now he he was on your blog for a while, sort of arguing with you, and uh, or arguing at you, and 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 at least a couple of times he's like, "I'm done here," you know, "I'll just leave you people to your little, you know, skeptic party." And then he would come back a couple of days later, and he'd be yeah. like, "I'm done here," but I guess he's he's not actually done with you now. He's he's recently, oh, no. yeah, he's recently posted. <laughs> why don't you why don't you tell his wonderful new blog posting about you well 
Uh, just to quickly go back to what you were saying about his posting on my blog, the thing is, is that he has a subscription to my blog. So whenever a new post comes out, he gets an email notification about it. And so he'll parse it for anything on Billy Meyer or himself or even UFOs, actually, these days. And also he has a subscription to every single post that mentions UFOs or him or Billy Meyer. And so whenever anyone finds my blog and posts a comment to a year-old post about Billy Meyer, <laughs> then he'll find it. And within about an hour or so, he'll reply with something that would span about 10 printed pages. I mean I think that he has just the materials standardized and yeah. will copy and paste. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, to get to the, the latest, it's um, – it's on theyflyblog.com if any of your listeners happen to have a few minutes that they hope never to get back and want to waste. Um, his post is entitled Stars in His Eyes. It's very patronizing or patronizing depending upon how you pronounce it. Um, he says that I want to emulate Phil Plate, who is a self-proclaimed skeptical astronomer himself. <laughs> Um, I can't wait. Like self-proclaimed, like, well, y y yeah, but I, I mean, astronomer, okay, like that's not self-proclaimed because you have some paper say you're an astronomer, and and you know, skeptics are what skeptics do, so it's not like you have to go around proclaiming it. it it's you know, it's it it it, it sounds kind of you know insulting and like well, his whole arrogant thing is insulting. Yeah, yeah, okay. It, so, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, both Stuart and Phil have in common, uh, they are already quite sure that the entire UFO subject is a hoax or nonsense, etc. And then Horn says, not that I wouldn't agree with them for the most part. What I don't agree with them on is, of course, in regards to the Billy Meyer case. <laughs> right, yes. Correct. And, you know, his, his whole Let's see, one, two, his whole six-paragraph post is basically full of that um, and quite full of himself. Uh, he says, you know, suffice to say, the Meyer case is an inconvenience to anyone wanting to parlay their expertise into a major career. So I'm not entirely sure what he's saying there. Like, okay, I, I think he's talking about me, so yes, I have an expertise in astronomy, and gee, I have an expertise in astronomy, and that is my career, yes, I do want to put it into my career. But then that that's overshadowed by Meyer's first-hand knowledge of the cosmos that exceeds even Phil Plate's proverbial wildest dreams. <laughs> so now he really, he's starting to sound like a, well, not starting, he's continuing to sound like a creationist, where creationists will say, so... You know, these evolutionists or these modern-day scientists will say this one thing, but they completely ignore that there was actually someone there, and God the Savior and God the Lord wrote it down in his word, in his Bible. And so it doesn't matter what these other people say. God was there, and God said it in this Bible. So it's the – you know, you could basically replace in uh, Michael Horn's posts Meyer with God. And it would read exactly like a creationist. So then he he's um, he apparently seems to think that there's hope for me yet to see the Billy Aww. Meyer light. Because he says, since Stewart appears to be more of a novice who is ex who is aspiring to such stellar heights as Phil presumes himself to have attained, I've sent him a fair number of leads and links to scientific information by Meyer that really should pique his interest if he's truly a scientist and not just looking for his 15 minutes of fame. And since this podcast has already gone on for about 44 minutes, I can say that I have more than my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> but then he continues, so I'd invite any scientifically knowledgeable people who've been researching the Meyer material to contact Stuart and politely invite him to practice the kind of objective, logical, scientific thinking and investigation that distinguishes a real scientist from a simply prejudiced, opinionated, and therefore a religious skeptic. <laughs> and now his, his call for science-minded people has generated uh, a response by Sheila. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, actually, before we get to that, there, there's a there's one final sentence here that I want to okay. read. He says, okay. Stuart may be different than Phil because he's a bit younger. And while he may have a youthful feeling of invincible intellectual superiority, it hasn't yet overwhelmed him nor been conceivably demonstrated. I, I, he he seems to it's 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 almost a very left-handed compliment like like you know he's, right. he's young and youthful but he's backhanded almost, compliment. yeah 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 backhanded compliment he's almost trying to just sort of imply like you know you're you're young you don't really know what you're talking about yet you know I've I've eaten you know better people like you for breakfast kind of that that seems to be his his is his attitude. I mean, he, he, he's very good at sort of, sort of copying that, that's that, that kind of attitude. Like, like oh, you just don't know all the details and I, I don't have time to explain this to you, but I, I'm going to, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, if I think that this is all he does, I think he, his career is the Meyer material and, you know, I'll of course be posting a link to this, uh, podcast episode on my blog so i'm sure that meyer will find it whether or not he actually oh. listens to it, it's a different issue oh, oh, but if he does you know michael i apologize if this isn't your career but i've been led to believe so far that this is basically what you do uh so if that's not the case please feel free to correct me on it <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure he will but uh I was say, no, no, she she, so well, sheila. Actually, actually, before i talk about sheila even the even the name of his blog and what's it? They fly, they fly, which is which they is, fly, right? Yeah, which is kind of a reference to something Galileo said uh, when, when kind of like Galileo had to sort of retract, uh, you know, his 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 claims to you know, to the Catholic Church. He, 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 I don't know if it was true, but he, it was attributed to him. And you know, he said something like, "And yet, and you know, and yet they, you know, they they rotate or something something like that." Are you familiar with that Galileo expression, that Galileo quote? Uh, I'm actually not. Oh, okay, so okay. I, I can't verify nor deny that. I sound like a military person now. Okay, but but even the name of his blog is uh, uh, it's it's the you know the Galileo Gambit. It's a very it's a sort of a reference to the Galileo Gambit. You know that like they made fun of Galileo, they made fun of Billy Meyer, but ho ho ho. Well, right. That's almost you know one of those. Internet, how you know uh, a dead or a, a losing battle moments where yes. you know, it's the first person who who claims a Hitler complex or who claims a Galileo or no claims that you're acting like Hitler or that they are Galileo. Then yes. you know that the argument is dead. Yes, which was the uh, the 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 the, the homeopathy French guy, but Benavist or something like that. Like yeah, he actually cl- he actually. John Ben Van East or something? Right, yes. Yeah, I, I believe that in a letter to Nature magazine of all things, he, he you know, he 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 donned the, the Galileo you know, the Galileo sort of mantle or something, which is like, ooh, come on, to nature you're trying to pull that shit, you know? I don't know. All right. So so Sheila, wonderful Sheila. Sheila she, her her she brings her scientific expertise to bear. Right. So Horn uh, did a second blog post. Uh, so the one about me, the stars in his eyes, was on April, not April, August 4th. And he did another one on the 6th. And that one is entitled, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Mars. And this is where it's a much longer post. And he's basically saying, so there was uh, the recent announcement from NASA well, depending on when you're listening to this, the recent, as in about the 1st of August, announcement from NASA that we've seen these apparent gullies on Mars that are seasonal and appear to be evidence for flowing water on the surface of the planet. Um, there are actually some issues with that study, like the spectroscopy doesn't actually verify that, but that's a different issue. So Michael Horn is saying that Okay, we have this announcement from NASA, but if we go back to the Meyer material from the 1970s, in this case 1976 and 1987, then Billy Myers had this information that, yes, Mars has water. And, of course, in his blog post about this press release and press conference about NASA, Phil never once mentioned that Billy Meyer predicted this 30 years ago. Damn that, Phil. I know. I mean, how can Phil get away with that? <laughs> so I mean, that's basically the, the point of 
Meyer's post. And again, it, it sounds it's exactly like a creationist. Right. It's like, well, these astronomers found this thing, but if we look back in the Bible, God told us this two thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, but but to to to, to t- touch back on what you're saying that 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 uh, the horn is going. Oh, Billy Meyer. He said there was flowing water on the surface of Mars, but but the, the scientists are saying there's evidence there could be, but we don't have any definitive proof there's any flowing water on Mars. So so he's not even he, he's he's putting the cart a bit before the horse, you know. Right. Well, it's you know this whole um, the whole thing about water on Mars among um, how shall I put it. Uh, alternative reality people. <laughs> so, so I include Michael Horn in that, as well as um, uh, what's his name, Sir Charles Schultz, who is an occasional guest on Coast to Coast AM, as well as John Lear, as law, as well as of course the perennial Richard C. Hoagland. They all are in the camp with. Well, we knew that there was water on Mars 50 years ago, and it's only now that NASA is finally very, very slowly letting out this material in drips and drabs because they didn't want to admit it back then. But now they have to because the evidence is mounting. And, oh, those UFOs that we see on the planet are are really going to get us. So they really need to let us know that information really, really quick. (laughs) I think I breathed once there. Okay, yeah. So so, you know, once you get into the conspiracy mindset, you can really invent anything that you want. And really, whenever this news is out there, you can say, well, I predicted this eons ago. And right, you yeah. can say, yes, well, actually, so did the scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I can – Percival Lowell, he claimed that there were canals on Mars 100 years ago. I think that he kind of predates Billy Meyer as well as Richard Hoagland. So – of course, granted, there weren't canals. He was seeing the back of his eyes, but that's a different issue. But the idea of water on Mars is not that far-fetched. We know that there is H2O on Mars. Whether or not liquid water is capable of surviving in any form on the surface today is a different issue. But you know, whenever you get this kind of news, you're going to get these people saying these things. So I think that's a very – Lengthy way of getting to Sheila's post. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, and she, Sheila has basically—if Sheila's right, your whole career is over, isn't it? Well, if Sheila is right, then that government cover-up check is going to dry up. Ooh, okay. Oh wait, I shouldn't have admitted to that out loud. <laughs> no. No, no. If I'm, yeah, I had to turn off my air conditioner today because my electricity bill went up. So if that government <laughs> cover-up money is going to come, it better come soon. Yes. Um, anyway, so because Michael Horn is writing a blog, people can leave comments. And of course, you're, you know, with Michael Horn, people learn very quickly that any kind of sane response to him. Dissent? Is, you mean dissent? Yes. Thank you. If anyone dissents from his gospel or the gospel of Billy Meyer, then you are going to quickly come upon a lot of, well, as I've said before, infantile arguments from both Horn as well as his followers. So his blog his comments are basically filled with people who believe what he says. So there's a particular comment from Sheila who says that uh, last year – Discover Magazine on Phil's blog refused to post one of her comments, you know, censorship and all that, um, and that she just went there now and posted that Phil Plate is a NASA stooge and that she can guarantee that it will never show up in the comments. And then she writes the little LOL. Uh, she says that Discover Magazine has never been about the truth, and she quit buying their mag because of it. She also sent an email to NASA telling them to quit saying that these pictures from Mars are all of craters and gullies when it's obvious, even to a small child, that these are mounds and tubes and that they aren't fooling anyone but themselves and making themselves look very stupid. Only at NASA can they make people believe that gullies cast shadows, LOL. (laughs) She's got a point, though, doesn't she? So how do you how do you explain that these these how can craters cast shadows? Anything that has a topographic relief will cast a shadow. 
No! So craters go down into the surface, and so therefore when there's a, a light source out, you're going to cast a shadow. And it's the same thing with a gully. Gullies go down into the surface, so when you have a low light angle, you're going to cast shadows. There. Not there. that hard. <laughs> Not that hard. No. I mean, you know... She says that this stuff is obvious to a small child, and this is kind of why I say that these people have the you know, knowledge level of this material of that of an infant. Yeah, yes, exactly. You know, it's, it's the whole idea that, uh, uh, you know, when people talk about common sense, you know, it's like, but com, you know, common sense. And, and then you're like, yeah, but, you know, that computer you're using, that that didn't come about through common sense. It came about, you know, quantum mechanics and things like that, that that people had to, you know, come up with things that defied common sense to develop that computer, that that the, that the technology that that runs our lives it was because people didn't apply common, they didn't listen to their common sense, they, 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 they came up with ideas that, that, that were counter to it, so yeah, it's always a, to be a strange claim. Well, and that's actually one of the things, getting back to the beginning of this podcast that I talked about in my Skepticamp talk in May is that we have this field of quantum mechanics and quantum mechanics does not make sense. Mm -hmm. The whole reason it doesn't make sense is because it affects the world of the very, very tiny. And if it made sense to us, it would actually affect the world that we live in. And we don't see obvious quantum mechanical effects in our everyday world. Now, again, I can hear the physicists screaming at me. Yes, there are things in our everyday world that require quantum mechanics to be true. For example, the light output of the sun is was not really possible until we realized that light could be quantized or light energy is quantized. But that is not an obvious thing. And so, you know, New Age people like to use quantum mechanics to promote whatever belief they want, uh, such as homeopathy is one, because quantum mechanics doesn't make sense. And you do need people who have taken years of physics to actually usually understand quantum mechanics. And so to the everyday person, if you say, well, quantum mechanics says that homeopathy is possible, then they're going to generally believe you if they're not a skeptical person or if they do not know physics because quantum mechanics to normal people means, oh, that really weird field of physics that says that particles aren't particles, they're waves and that can do all that crazy stuff. So, gee, if this person says that quantum mechanics says that it can happen, then sure. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, maybe we should, we should wrap up. So, um, see, anything, anything coming up for you in the future? Of Actually, yes. Um, there is another Colorado skeptic camp, this time instead of in Boulder. It is in Colorado Springs that I will be at. So um, this particular skeptic camp is the uh, skeptic camp Colorado Springs 2011. It is on Saturday, August 27th in Colorado Springs. It happens to be at the uh, Gay and Lesbian Fund. And uh, you can go to the skepticamp.org website if you're interested in knowing more about that. I'm giving a talk, uh, looks like about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, on, again, the Apollo Moon Hoax. Okay, cool. All right, then. And uh, say, uh, your, your, your compatriot, Desert File, I'm gonna, I haven't really proposed it to him, but I'm going to try, I think I'm going to try and have him on soon, too, to talk about the whole free energy conspiracy thing. But I, I kind of wanted you to come on first and just sort of talk a bit about the energy thing. Um, but what I, what, I was talking to Desert File on the uh, Dogma Free America board, and he's like, he's like, well, this is kind of the first, this is sort of the first time I've ever really spoke in public, and and uh, you know, so he was he was a bit thrown off when that guy kept interrupting him. But but uh, but I'm like, you know, yeah. The problem with with uh, Skeptic Camp is you you, you kind of watch you Stuart sort of do the little Skeptic Camp talks, and it's like, man, Stuart makes it look so easy, <laughs> and it's it's not it's not that easy. <laughs> but you have you have a talent for it. you just sort of getting up and you know your stuff, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> 
or I'm good at making things up and sounding as if it's true. It, well, regardless, <laughs> you make it look easy. So, it, but yeah, but uh, so don't think you can ever do as well as Stuart. <laughs> that's that's the point. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to get at. You're but, making me blush, and this uh, isn't a video podcast. All right. So uh, I was going to say. So uh, remember, and so this this is the podcast. We don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want. Uh, I don't want PayPal donations, etc. Now the last time you're on you want you wanted chocolate right was that the chocolate's good okay did anyone send you chocolate no <sighs> man not even you not even me well i do a lot for you Stuart. but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I give you little paper just n- n- not know nothing degrees and uh, titles and things like that i pin medals to your chest all the time and what more do you want from me? Come on. But, uh, all right. So, right. So, I guess if Have people. You downloaded my podcast and listened to it? I, I didn't even know you had a podcast. I mean, it's just, I did, I, I was only made aware the other day. I will go look for it. Okay. Well, I, I have 59 downloads so far, and I know three of them are me, and one of them is not my mother, so. All right. <laughs> Other people, at least, are sort of listening to it. All right. You know, I, I have to give a shout out. I've got a listener in Germany, which I thought was kind of cool. And, uh, and I, I think I with Jacob. My podcast with Jacob. I, I mentioned how I was. I I, I kind of want to go to Frankfurt, Germany, for my summer vacation. And this very nice fellow from Germany, he emailed me and he he said, you know, if you're coming to Germany, I'd love to show you around Germany. Uh, you know, um, and then sort of in sort of a PS, he's like, he's like, um. It occurs to me now, you know, like you said, you wanted to go to Frankfurt, Germany. So the, you might, you might just be, you might have just being sarcastic. And if 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 the thing about going to Germany was a joke, let me apologize. We Germans, we have a very hard time understanding humor. <laughs> I thought, I thought that's why I'm doing the podcast. You know, <laughs> like getting kind of funny emails like that. So so yeah, uh, but I'm not saying you know, hey, if I'm going to go to your country. Show me around. I'm not hinting that at all. Okay, but chocolate. Give you chocolate. That's what you want. Chocolate. Chocolate's good. German chocolate's good. All right. Okay. Not yeah. that crappy American stuff. Okay. Yeah. Or the. Oh no, we can't talk about Hershey's because my next guest. I'm. I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm gonna have uh, 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 Nigel back on, who was on for about the Kennedy assassination and the right. uh, and the uh, the Falklands conspiracy. But uh, we're we're gonna do. Uh, I guess I could reveal the topic of that one. We're gonna we're gonna cover the uh, the the the, the uh, uh, ostensible assassination of Pope John Paul the first. So. Uh, when was he in power? Uh, like for about 33 days in the 80s, I think. He kind of mm. he became pope, and then he sort of, you know, air quotes, mysteriously died in his sleep. And uh, so there's people that sort of claim he was murdered. So, but we will, I will get into that on a later podcast right, with Nigel. Popes aren't old guys who tend to die. Nope, they don't. So actually, I, I remember um, when the last pope died, whatever his name was. Uh, there was an Onion article that said, mysterious illness claims another pope, and <laughs> you know, somehow the popes keep dying off, and we, we don't know why, and soon he will be out of his larval stage and, and turn into a pope butterfly. Or it was a very odd article. <laughs> As only the Onion can do. All right. Yes. And if, I guess if you, don't ever, if you don't know Stuart and you're never going to meet Stuart, uh, okay, I I mean, the, some of the other podcasts I've or some of the other people I've had on, like um, Blake Blake from Monster Talk at Monster Talk, they have a PayPal link. You could go to the Monster Talk. You could donate money to Monster Talk. Uh, probably Dogma Free America. I've long time I had Rich Orman on. You could you could probably find a PayPal donation link on his site. So you know, if you're really if in this economic climate, if you're finding yourself just rolling in cash, and you're like, I'd love to give Carl. Hundreds of dollars. You know what? What? what no, no, wait. You can give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you can give it to Stuart, or um, I'm the guy who was just, you know, until a, two or three months ago, a struggling poor graduate student. Yeah. And and as we all know, astronomy. Once you get once you get once you get your work in papers, that astronomy it's kicking about seventy bucks an hour, right? Oh well, maybe once you actually become a faculty. Uh, I my my salary is below that. <laughs> a little, a touch, a touch below that. Significantly below that. <laughs> Can you afford an oil change once every three months? Oh wait, you're supposed to do that every three months? I don't know. 
I think my car, it's been a year or something. I should probably go do that. Yeah, all right then. Okay, so I'll, I'll let you go. And, uh, and, uh, good. No, no stupid asinine question to end with. We've, we've, we've asked this before. We, Slap Chop and, uh, uh, I forget what, favorite uniform. Yeah, I think we decided the Vulcans, because yeah. they have the cloaks. Oh, uh, yes, right, yeah. Cloaks are good. Yeah, Harry Potter or something. Something with a cloak. Cloaks are nice. All right. I actually like Snape's outfit, because he has a nice dark cloak. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, we could talk about Harry Potter, but that might might oh. make the podcast go on longer. I got a complaint about that too. He was a very well. He sent me this one guy sent me a really nasty email like about two in a row, just just flaming me. And then I respond back. I'm like, I'm like, you know, everything you say is entirely correct. You know, I can't. There's nothing you're really. I mean, other than the strong language, nothing you're saying in your email is is incorrect. Yeah, you. I like to ramble on, and I'm lonely, and I like to talk to the people, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing, and and you know, you know uh, it's, my podcast isn't for everybody. And you know, if, if if you like it, that's great. If you don't like it, that's okay. And then he sort of emails me back a third time. He's like, oh, you know. Uh, I kind of feel bad. You you kind of responded. You're really nice in your response, and emailed them back. And I'm like, don't think I haven't written emails like that to other podcasts and to authors and things. You know, it's like it, if I'm going to give out lumps, I better be prepared to take them too. So, so yeah, to that guy, we'll just cut this one out. We'll just cut this one down short. We won't get into Harry Potter. Yeah, I could go on ranting about the last movie for that. Yeah. I don't think your audience wants to hear that. We'll take that offline. <laughs> All right, so then we'll say goodbye. All right, have a good night, Stuart. Night. Okay, bye-bye. Bells will